Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting Halvorth Saga on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And this is our second episode on the Saga of Halvarth of Isafjordr, a.k.a. the Saga of Howard the Lame. No, no, absolutely not. Ah, suit yourself. So, uh, <laughs> John, how are you feeling this uh, this evening? You ready to party? Oh, oh I'm feeling. Uh, just, to, just to explain, today was my last in-person teaching day for a pair of uh, five-week intensive courses I've been doing this summer. Why would you do that? I, I know. Well, I'm still working with my students to complete final papers, but the the nonstop prepping and evaluating to support 18 class hours a week has drawn to a close. Awesome. So uh, I'm relaxing for the first time in over a month. How about you, Andy? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I'm getting ready for – well, you're ending one uh, semester. My, my summer class – I only taught one summer class this summer, and that was over a while ago. And um, now I'm just getting ready for fall semester, which starts in a week and a half. And uh, I've also got uh, my daughters going back to college, or actually, mm-hmm. one going back to college. I got another one that's going for the first time. She's going to be going up in Ohio, which is kind of exciting. And uh, yeah, so life is going to get back into that rhythm of having just my my son in the house, mm-hmm. and that's going to be very different around here. You're almost an empty nester. Almost, almost, yeah. Uh, whereas you have uh, very young children, and you're, they're going to be with you f- <laughs> seemingly forever. Forever. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm vaguely aware that there's a time when that will not be the case, but it's very it's very far off. It's yes, fine. I enjoy yes. it. Well, he said, trying to convince himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> you know, I decided to start uh, uh, a little bit younger than than uh, most mm-hmm. scholars, I think. So Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah, well, and, and then look at, you know, how it affected my, my job prospects. So, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, but uh, you know, hey, people aren't here to listen to our very exciting lives, John. Very let's, exciting. Uh, let's let's dive back into this really cool saga. All right. Well, fortunately, there's only the one episode to remember, but we'll uh, I think we'll still provide a recap of what happened last time on Saga Thing. Alberth is a retired Viking, enjoying his pensioner's life on a comfortable farm with his wife Bjargi and their son Olaf. But retirement's sweet nectar develops a sour bite when Olaf gains a powerful rival, a jealous chieftain named Thorbjorn Gothi. Olaf's reputation as the region's resident boy scout proves an irritant to the arrogant and insecure Thorbjorn. Olaf's acts of do-goodery include rounding up stray sheep for all the farmers in the region. This flashy bit of altruism makes Olaf a popular fellow and impresses everyone except Thorbjorn and his hyena-like sidekick, his nephew Vark. I hate that guy! You are supposed to. Olaf's sterling reputation grows shinier still when a local widow asks him to help deal with her newly dead husband, Thormod, who rises from the grave at night and insists on trying to catch forty winks in their marital bed. (laughs) Olaf defeats Thormod's revenant in a marathon wrestling match that wrecks much of the widow's hall, and then defeats it again the following year when it attacks Thorbjorn Gothi's shepherd, Brand. Olaf's star is on the rise, but Thorbjorn and Vark aim for cloudier skies. They watch for Olaf to visit his lady friend, Sigrid, a young woman recently escaped from Thorbjorn's house after an abduction. Despite Sigrid's warnings, Olaf walks off with Thorbjorn and Vark when they arrive. They attack and kill him, tragically ending the career of our promising young sheephound. But not before Olaf cuts down Vark's brother Scarf in his final moments. And Thorbjorn's shameful behavior isn't over yet. He desecrates Olaf's corpse by knocking the teeth from his mouth. 
Olaf's death devastates his parents, Havarth and Bjargi. Bjargi buries her grief in the work on the farm, but Havarth buries himself in his bed and doesn't leave it for a year. And when he finally screws his courage to the sticking place to demand compensation for the death of his son, Thorbjorn and Vak mock him and send him away empty-handed. Havarth returns to his bed for a second year, nearly paralyzed by his fury and grief. But can Havarth and Bjargi overcome age and their enemy? Will Olaf's blood and teeth be avenged? And would someone please kill Vak already? <laughs> Find out as we return to Havarth Saga, Isafjord, chapter 6 to 11. So, in our last episode, we introduced the setting of Hauva's saga in the Westfjords, and we followed the career of Hauva's son, Olaf, until he was viciously killed by a jealous chieftain. Okay, what is the point of the whole recap if you're going to reduce it to a single sentence right afterward? <laughs> Good question. Well, the point I was leading up to is that uh, we got through what amounts to Act 1 of the story. And, yeah. you know, sometimes people like a quick summation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I know people made fun of us for only getting through the first five chapters last time. So I want you all to know that we've heard you loud and clear. And uh, we're getting through, I think I just said, 6 to 11 this mm-hmm. time? Yep, five and a half chapters. Well, that'll show them. <laughs> Part five. The third man. Price. Man Price. Does that scan? Uh, all right. Does that scan? So we left off with Havarth uh, returning to bed after being mocked by Thorbjorn and Vak. Uh, another year goes by with his wife, Bjargi, and their foreman, Thorhat, uh, Thorhat Fleetfoot, keeping the farm and the household running. Yeah, that Thorhat is a useful guy to have around. Yeah, it's, it's never stated outright because, you know, this is a saga and you don't say these things. But Bjargi and Havarth are definitely coming to rely on Thorhat as a surrogate for their son. Well, as we'll see in this episode, they do have extended family in the area, or at least Bjargi does. Uh, that includes several able-bodied nephews. But uh, but yeah, John, they, they treat Thorhat as an integral part of this household. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, he, he was also a close friend of Olaf's. So he may have a pseudo foster son relationship with Halvarth and Bjargi uh, without true. It being stated. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, it's a good point. But all those nephews probably mean there's a real limit as to how far even a valued servant can expect to rise in the household. Well, we'll have to see, won't we? We will. Uh, so a, a year's gone by, and Thorbjorn heads off to the All Thing again. And Bjargi once again argues with her husband that he must get out of bed and seek redress for Olaf's death. But Halvorth is more resistant than last time. He says, Don't you think that I've already been humiliated enough by the killer of my son? Do you really think he won't just humiliate me yet more when there are chieftains assembled? Now Bjargi responds, It won't be like that. Oh, Jesus. There will be a no, few supporters no, no, of no, your no, case. No, no. What was that? What are you Problem? doing? <laughs> I just thought she's very rustic. She's old. Yes, but she's you not know? She's not in Monty Python. <laughs> that's all i know john (laughs) all right so uh maybe soften her up a little bit i mean you know okay that sounds like a yes uh so bjargi responds we're gonna try this again (laughs) it won't be like that (laughs) (laughs) and now we're doing john lithgow from the world according to garb well done right 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 we're just having fun here Mm -hmm. no so bjargi responds 
it won't be like that. There will be a few supporters of your case. Guest Oldlifson, for one, will do so. And if things go as I imagine, and Guest is able to broker a settlement between Thorbjorn and you, so that he will have to pay you a lot of money, there will be a lot of Guest men present to form a ring around you, and a few inside the ring when Thorbjorn pays you. But we're uh, we're doing this whole out, speech, huh? Yeah, yes, and I wanted to do it in a different accent, but here we are. So be quiet. <laughs> it's important. But if it turns out, before the money is paid, that Thorbjorn does anything offensive or painful to you, then you should hurry away as fast as you can. And if you feel better than you expected, then you should not settle the case at all, because then there is hope, unlikely though it might seem, that Olaf, our son, shall be avenged. But if you do not feel better, then you should not leave the all thing without a settlement, because then there will be no revenge." Now, if you thought that was a be- bewildering series of hypotheticals, uh, you're not alone. Halberth <laughs> blinks at her and says, I do not know where you're heading with all this. Well, I mean, that was a lot of information. <laughs> but the upshot is that he should be ready for anything. No, no, yeah, he gets that part. If I knew <laughs> that revenge for my son Olaf were possible, I would stop at nothing to achieve that end. Hmm... Do you, do you really think that? I mean, that's those are odd words coming from a guy who's laying in bed for two years. But <laughs> well, no, I mean, it I, sounds like he's saying he would stop at nothing, <laughs> which is what he's been doing okay. for two years. Oh, he, I see. He would stop at nothing. It's all about parsing um, the sentence. I got you. I got you. So the nothing will come to an end. I Correct. understand. Uh, but anyway, at this point, it's hard to tell whether Bjargi is kind of a mastermind which I'm suspecting she might be, but mm-hmm. it's also quite possible that she's a slightly scatterbrained old woman. I think she might be a scatterbrained mastermind. Ooh, can you be both? Well, I mean, I think so. No, I, I know you can be both. Oh. I'm talking about normal people. I, I don't no idea. I've never tried normal. Uh, anyway, <laughs> she manages to get Halverth up and moving, and he does ride to the all thing. But when he gets there, he's old and bent and sore, and he rides directly to the booth of Stainthor of Eri, who's a chieftain and a warrior with an impressive reputation. Yeah. Halvarth gives his name, and Stainthor immediately recognizes him. Aren't you the one who had the renowned son whom Thorbjorn killed, and whose defense men praise so highly? I am, Halvarth replies. I am. <laughs> I am. I like your... Halvarth's gotten older this, since last episode, and I like... Well, he's very old. He's Remember, he's had a bad couple of years. He's just been laying around. I am, and I would like you, sir, to allow me to stay in your booth during the all thing. Now, Stainthor agrees, but warns Halvarth to keep quiet and keep to himself, since my lads are great pranksters and you are still grieving. Besides, you're old and helpless. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, so yeah, right. Stainthor is <laughs> Not a that familiar... I'm judging. Yes, yeah, seriously. This is a, uh, Stainthor's got a familiar name. This is uh, Stainthor Thorlaxen. He's the leader of the Thorlaxons who fought against Snorri Gothi and the Thorbransons back in Erbidge's saga. Ah. He showed up in a couple of crowd scenes in Lockstall's saga, too. Uh, he was also in uh, Boundamana saga. Mm-hmm. Boundamana saga. Uh, but so was everyone else, Yeah, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, he's going to be a pretty important character in this story. So remember Stainthor Thorlaxon. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, he's just giving Halvorth a place to rest and recover. Well, that's what Stainthor thinks. Uh, but it turns out that Halvorth not only keeps quiet, 
He actually remains in his bedroll in Stainthor's booth until the entire all thing is just about over. Oh, Halworth. Yeah. He's old. uh, He's elderly. uh, He had a mission, a job to do. I know. And he made it to the all thing, Andy. We can Uh. expect no more. Well, he actually waits until the all thing is actually over. Uh, Stainthor's men are already starting to pack up. And at that point, Stainthor realized that Halvarth is still in bed. Mm -hmm. And so he asks, why did you come here to lie about like the heir to a fortune or a cripple? I'd intended to seek compensation for my son Olaf, but I'm very reluctant. Thorbjorn is free with his abuse and his dishonorable behavior. Well, take my advice. Go and find Thorbjorn and make your case. I expect that if you manage to have guests with you, well, you'll get your rights from Thorbjorn. Mm -hmm. See, John, Halberth gets lots of advice, and some of it's pretty good. I mean, he's not really a self-starter so far. (laughs) Everyone's trying to give him a little, you know, a little little push in the right direction. Bit of a nudge. Uh, And he does take the advice. He, He hobbles to guest and Thorbjorn's booth using his walking staff. But when he gets there, he sees that Stainthor guessed badly. Thorbjorn is lounging in the booth with his men, but guest isn't there. So many sagas do this. Uh, there's this recurring idea that there's something sort of unwholesome about a man lounging indoors during the day. Which really plays differently in this saga because we've also got Halvorth spending entire years lying mm-hmm. in his bed. But he has the excuse of grief and age. Uh, but I think it's worth noting... Bjarge is old and grieving too, and she's Absolutely. not doing that. Yeah, there's an entire subtextual story going on between those two, but we'll we'll get to that later. For now, uh, Halvorth realizes Guest isn't home at the same time that Thorbjorn spots him in the doorway. He asks Halvorth what he's doing there, and Halvorth says, uh, The slaying of my son is so fresh in my memory that it seems only yesterday. It is my purpose to ask you for compensation for the killing. Hmm. Look, what I can offer you right now is some good advice. Come to me at home in the district and I'll have something for you. But right now I've got a lot to attend to, you see. I don't want you sniveling about the place. Well, experience has told me that if you'll not pay now, you'll certainly do nothing back home in the district. I'd hoped that some men would support my case here. See, Thorbjorn is just playing with Halvorth now. Yeah. Uh, he, he turns to his men and he says, Listen to all this nonsense, will you? He intends to turn other men against me. Go away, old man. Never mention this matter to me again if you wish to stay healthy. And Vok laughs loudly. And what we decided last time is definitely the voice of Salacious Crumb. Uh, so that's your that's your Vok laugh, then. Uh, it's the highest register I can get to. You can hear my voice is a little raspy from teaching all day. You want to try it? Uh, no. I actually, if I'm being honest with you, I don't see him as Salacious Crumb, though I get it. I see uh-huh. him more as like that 80s movie. Right. Ones, right. There's always a bad guy, and he's got a friend that laughs at everything he yeah, says. Casey says Maiko in Back to the Future. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I gotcha. that's who Vok is. But he, he, Salacious Crumb, too, because they're basically the same thing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Halvorth is furious, obviously, and he storms out, muttering about injustice. And he's so focused on his outrage that he nearly runs into Guest Odlifsson uh, and his people who are entering the booth. Now, 
Guest knows about the history between these two. So he goes in and questions Thorbjorn about what Halvorth wanted. And Thorbjorn, remember, it's sort of a characteristic of Thorbjorn's that he never really thinks he's done anything wrong. Right. So he tells him exactly what happened. And Guest is disgusted with Thorbjorn. How well do you think you have kept to what you promised when I married my sister to you? I know we mentioned this in the last episode, but seeing the future is literally Guest's most famous attribute. You really wouldn't think he'd have been caught off guard by the fact that this guy, who everyone in Iceland thinks is a bullying jerk, turns out to be a bullying jerk. I mean, he doesn't really need to read the tea leaves for this one. And if he did, the tea leaves would have been in the shapes of letters saying something like, Don't let this dude anywhere near your sister. (laughs) Some serious ASMR, Andy. (laughs) Uh, I mean, the tea leaves... I mean, what can you say? When it comes to guests, sometimes his third eye goes on the blink. Uh, this this fits into the structure of the saga. Right? Every set piece and every significant interaction is in service of establishing that there are good people and villains. Right? And we're never left to wonder about which is which. Yeah. And this is a trope that goes way beyond just medieval literature. Showing that the positive figure, guest, is willing to give the benefit of the doubt to someone, even someone like, like Thorbjorn, It's a way of showing that he's morally exemplary. Mm -hmm. And then when the villain cheats or takes advantage of the hero's mercy or goodwill, the moral line between them is then clearly drawn. Right, sure. Which means that when the hero does lower the boom on the villain, it seems justified as a blow for moral right. Yeah, this is the final battle arc, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a legal requirement that this trope be included in every 80s action film. Right, but, but we're still in the early chapters. Uh, I do think we can definitely keep an eye on 80s action movie elements in this saga, though. Uh, and speaking of which, uh, Guest finds out what's happened and sends his kinsman, Thorgils Hollison, uh, to bring Halvorth back to the booth, along with a promise that he will support Halvorth's claim. Um, just want to point out real quick um, yeah. that kinsman, his name was Thorgils Hollison. Uh, any recollection on who that might be? Wait, so is this the same Thorgils from uh, from Laxdala Saga? Yes, it is. Thorgils mm-hmm. Hotlison, yep. the the guy who was pining after Gudrun, mm-hmm. who thought he was going to marry her, but then found right. he was guy, played. Yeah, the guy who got suckered. Um, That's right. The the would-be fifth husband. Yeah. Uh, he was told, I believe she said as he, as he rode off into the night, don't hate the player, hate the game. Something to that effect. Right. It, it's, you know, it's a, it's a loose translation from the Old Norse, but <laughs> right. good enough. Right. Uh, so, anyway. all right. So, Guest is now offering to support Halvorth, which means Stainthor was right. He just guessed wrong on the timing. Right. Yeah. So, Halvorth returns, uh, still limping along on his staff, and with Guest's help, recounts the entire story of Olaf's death. Uh, Guest tells Thorbjorn he will now either arbitrate a public settlement to compensate Halvorth, or else he'll void the wedding of Thorbjorn and Guest's sister. And of course, Thorbjorn quickly agrees to this because, you know, honestly, that should make everyone else suspicious, but he's he's very yeah. eager not to lose that. Right. Well, so far, Bjargi's prediction is going pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the other things we see here is that the political advantage of being allied with Guest's family, they're pretty significant. In fact, they're significant enough to make Thorbjorn kind of capitulate rather quickly. Yeah. Um, so it's worth it's probably worth it to Thorbjorn to eat a small serving of crow here. No, I think he's just getting ready to give Guest the bird. Oh, you're so old, the bird. Uh, seasoned, Andy. I'm seasoned. 
Uh, things are looking up for poor Halvorth, though, uh, especially when Guest announces a triple Weregild judgment. Triple a Weregild. Triple man price for a single man. That's a lot of silver. It's a lot. Uh, presumably, uh, Guest doesn't break down the reasoning behind his judgment, but he's obviously awarding some sort of damages for pain and suffering here. Yeah. Uh, at least one Weregild is probably meant to be compensation for the humiliations that Thorbjorn has put Halvor through. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thorbjorn agrees to this judgment as he promised, but he says he'll pay it back home in Isafjord since he left his bags of silver in his other pants. Right, which absolutely no one believes for a minute. Right. I like this moment because, yeah, they say, no, yeah. no, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, and get, yeah, guest, guest is no fool. He says the whole thing has to be paid right now at the all thing. And to move things along, he guessed himself is going to contribute one wear guild of the money. So he's reaching Which, into his pocket and pulling out quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, it isn't unheard of for a third party arbitrator to make a contribution to the judgment. Right? It, it demonstrates good faith. Uh, yeah. But in this case... I think Guest's pretty much paying the stupid tax for saddling himself with a brother-in-law like Thorbjorn. Uh, yeah, I agree, and and kind of distancing himself from from Thorbjorn's yeah. actions. Yeah, um, but it's you know it's not like Thorbjorn is grateful for this gesture. Mm-hmm. He grumblingly scrapes up a second wear guild, uh, but then he stops. And when Guest tells him to quit stalling, Thorbjorn pulls out a knotted cloth that he's been carrying at his side for the last couple years. He says. Perhaps Havarth will not consider himself underpaid if this is included. Uh, he then clobbers Havarth across the face with the knotted cloth, spraying blood, and shouts, There! There are the front and back teeth of your son Olaf. Oh boy. Yeah, this is, this is just this is cartoon villain stuff. Uh, He's a bad which, guy. Which doesn't make it any less horrifying. Uh, I mean, this this author is working in emotional primary colors, and <laughs> Thorbjorn is a baddie out of a movie serial. Or, I mean, mm-hmm. to continue the 80s action movie logic, Thorbjorn is now kicking dogs in the street and evicting old ladies. Well, I mean, he has to tear down the old folks' home to make room for new condos. He has to clear uh, that, that uh, protected forest. kind of forest. undermining what? the impact of this moment. <laughs> oh, yes. True. Uh, well, the kids at the summer camp are going to get him. I can tell you that. There you go. So back to the story. Olaf's killer has hit Halvarth with a bag holding Olaf's teeth that he pulled out of his dead body. Yeah. Correct. No, it's it's brutal when you just lay it out like that. And Halvarth stares silently at his son's teeth in his lap and then leaps up in a fury. He swings his staff hard at one of Thorbjorn's men, smashing him backward with so much force that he's unconscious for a long time. Halvorth then vaults past the rest of Thorbjorn's men and storms off to Stainthor's booth, walking, we're told, like a young man. In other words, not leaning on his staff anymore. Uh, but when he gets to the booth, he lays down and remains <laughs> lying as if ill for some time. I was so excited. I know when he leaped. So many he false leaps starts over these guys. <laughs> yep. And then he just goes and lays down. I, yep. I was like, okay, Bjargi's prediction has come true. Right. He's got that youthful energy back. Right. the The Viking has returned, and then he goes and lays down. But he's so tired, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, John, can either one of us, uh, you know, leap over a ring of men? I mean, and then, and then how tall are these back? men? <laughs> and are they I standing mean, up at the time? 
I assume so. Right. I so feel confident if, they were, if they're that. slim men and they're lying down, I'll be able to do it. Yeah, yeah. So he's got us, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but back at their booth, Guest is repulsed by Thorbjorn's act. You are like no other man for your malice and injustice. I'm no judge of men if you and your kinsmen don't live to regret this. And then he leaves the all thing and rides immediately to Isafjord, where he collects his sister and announces her divorce from Thorbjorn on the spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you can imagine, she's very happy to go with him. Well... I mean, as far as we know, no one consulted her about the marriage in the first place. Yeah, this is really Guest's mess to clean up, and she's probably got a few I told you so's for her brother on the ride home, but uh, we're not told about that. Everybody makes mistakes, Andy. Typos, spilled milk, misapplying patriarchal power and ruining your sister's life, jaywalking. Yeah, all equally unfortunate things. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So Thorbjorn arrives home a while later to find that his wife and all her belongings are gone. Mm -hmm. He and everyone else regard this as a public embarrassment. Which it is. But given guests' power, Thorbjorn can't really do much about it. He's got a little bit of a pattern going here, doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the same thing happened in the last episode with Sigrith, his abductee. She also escaped while Thorbjorn was away at the Althing. Yeah, at some point, I think the common denominator here is obvious. The, the all thing. <laughs> nice. Don't go to the all yeah, thing. Sure. Think yeah. Bad things happen at home when you're away. Uh-huh. So uh, back at the all thing, uh, Halverth is preparing to go home, but he's still very stiff from his activity. Uh, before he goes, Stainthor of Eri takes him aside. Like everyone else at the all thing, Stainthor is appalled by the humiliation Halverth has suffered. Remember yeah. that Halberth is a man with a good reputation, right? He's retired, but there was a time when he was a, a much respected Viking. Uh, Stainthor yeah. tells him, if you ever need a little help, you call on me. He says uh, also, if you fall, I will catch you. I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting. Time after time. Time after time. Absolutely. Uh, so Halberth returns to his farm, uh, having gained at least this promise of friendship. But he goes immediately back to bed. And lies there for a third year, all but crippled with stiffness. It's, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you're old. Uh, It's so frustrating. (laughs) Well, I know, uh, but Bjargi and Thorhall Fleetfoot uh, continue to run the farm. (laughs) So Halworth finally has an ally. Mm -hmm. And it's not just his pillow this time. It's a pretty good one. Oh, that's But the problem is that... No, that sounded dirty. (laughs) No, no. He's enjoyed his pillow very much over the last three years. <laughs> Why are you making that dirty? Jesus, John. The, the, the problem, if I may, the problem is that Stainthor's base of power is a long distance from Isafjord. Well, it's an entirely different part of Iceland. Yes, but how far, John? Uh, you're the man with the maps. You tell me. Well... As we said, Stainthor is an air dweller. Uh, his farm is on the northern coast of Snifelsnes Peninsula, facing onto Breidafjörður. It's actually on an outcropping of land that's near the modern town of Grundafjörður. It's actually pretty well out on the peninsula, too. Ah, well, and Halvorth lives way up in the West Fjords. Yeah, yeah, way up is right. Uh, his move away from Lagerbal put him significantly further north, across the fjord, and up the north shore. 
Getting from Stainthor's farm to Howarth farm would be a journey of something like 250 to 275 kilometers. That's, hang on, <laughs> I have to convert that into American. Uh, that's about 155 to 170 miles? Sure, yeah, uh, that sounds about right. Okay. Uh, it's a lot, uh, but that distance is by land, right? I mean, Stainthor's probably got a very nice ship that he uses for tooling around the fjords. Oh, I'm sure he does. Yeah, that's how you would dragon prow mast, uh, high ship, uh, square sail, all the candy. Yeah, but that's probably only going to help him in the warmer weather. And with the West Fjords in the way, well, it actually turns out to be at least the same distance by sea. Andy, how much time do you spend with these maps? I think they're very interesting. Mm-hmm. But the point is, by land or by sea, Howarth's new friend is a long way away if there's any trouble. Hey, speaking of which... (laughs) Part 6. The right tools for the job. So we said that Bjargi and Thorhat have been running the farm, and part of that work is going out to fish and to forage. And one day in the following summer, when Bjargi and Thorhat are out fishing and rowing, they see a boat coming out across the fjord. Uh, Bjargi recognizes it as Thorbjorn's ship and sees him with several of his men on board. And she says, and actually you've been doing her voice. Do you want to do her or should I do her? Um, no, you go ahead. Okay. Thor- no, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it if you want. All right, go for it. She says, Thorha. Oh, jeez. It's let's run. Okay. All right. <laughs> if you're okay, done you being ahead. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead. Thorhat, let's row over there. I want to have a word with Thorbjorn. You row in a circle around his boat while I speak with him. Now, if you've been trained in the ways of the sagas, you know that when a mother confronts her son's killers, there's going to be some verbal fireworks. Well, but Bjarke keeps completely calm. She just calls out to Thorbjorn to ask politely about where he's going and how long he'll be away. Quite civil small talk. Yeah, but John, I think you and I both know that's not all she's doing. She's also <laughs> waving a small bag surreptitiously as she goes. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, Thorbjorn tells her that he's going to visit his brother Sturtla and his nephew Theodric, uh, and he'll be gone about a week. By then, Thorhot's completed rowing the circle around Thorbjorn's ship, and he rows away. See, Thorbjorn's not actually stupid, though, and after a second's thought realizes what she was doing, mm-hmm. and... He wants to go and attack them immediately. He says, let's go get the damned witch. Right, yeah. So clearly there's some spell casting going on here. Uh, yes. But his shepherd, uh, Brown the Strong, who is on board as well, refuses and warns Thorbjorn. You're just proving once again what is sometimes said of you. There's no evil deed you wouldn't commit. If you attack them, I will help them all I can, and it would cost you dearly. And so Thorbjorn has to let it go. Look at that. See, Bronn's a pretty outspoken servant. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, this is the same guy who Olaf helped deal with that undead attacker, uh, yep. Thormod's uh, revenant. Mm-hmm. And he's been rebuked by Thorbjorn for being too free in his praise when that happened. And now here we are. Hang on, hang on. Uh, Brand can wait. Uh, Bjargi and Thorhal are skimming away across the water, having accomplished their goal. But we didn't actually say what the goal was. 
Well, I think it's fairly obvious. All, all the elements are there. Uh, Bjargi's bag-waving, Thorhatl making a circle around the enemies, and Thorbjorn calling her a witch. All of those elements make it pretty clear that she's casting some kind of hex on them, and we did hmm. suggest that. Yeah, but if she is, I don't know that it works. Well, you don't I, know what... Nothing that happens after this is ever credited to Bjargi's curse. Although, honestly, maybe it already accomplished its goal. Which would be what, exactly? I mean, maybe all she was after was the information about Thorbjorn's travels. Right? The Hex could just be an obscuring spell to keep him from being suspicious of her questions. Hmm, maybe. I mean, that can make some kind of sense. We've seen spells like that before. Right. I'm not sure, though. Well, no, because remember, like one of the qualities of those spells that we've seen, when witches cast a spell to obscure somebody's senses, is that the effect yeah. wears off as soon as the victim is far enough away from the witch. Uh-huh. Right. And so as soon as Bjargi's ship is out of range, Thorbjorn suddenly realizes that he's blabbed everything about his plans to a woman who has reason to want him dead. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting, kind of like a charm spell in mm-hmm. uh, D&D, right? Yes, exactly. It only lasts for a certain amount of time and you know that it happened after right. the fact. Right, right. Hmm. I suppose there's some possibility there. Um, I Granted, I thought of it thinking that it would you know, play out and we'd get a, a reference right. to it later, <laughs> which we don't. Right. Uh, <laughs> So I, I just kind of assumed, maybe incorrectly, that mm-hmm. she is cursing him to make him unlucky. She's she's sucking right. his luck up. Although we can certainly say that there's some, we'll see in the rest of this episode, but certainly Thorburn's going to have his share of ill luck before this is over. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so that that's what I'm thinking mm-hmm. is going on, but, uh, mm-hmm. you, but you could be right as well. Would you uh, tell us what you think, folks? Uh, write in. Uh, you'll be happy you did. All right. So, yeah. and uh, if you happen to be out on the water and you see a woman <laughs> in a dinghy uh, being rowed in a circle around you while she's waving a bag, well, my suggestion would be to get far away. Don't before get she in the middle of that circle. circle. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Well, now that she knows when and where to find Thorbjorn, Bjargi goes into full revenge plot mode. Well, it's about time somebody did something. Yeah, uh, and obviously her husband isn't going to do it, so she's got the job. Uh, she and Thorhat sail to her brother's farms. Uh, she has three brothers, it turns out, all of yeah. them as old or older than she and Halvarthar. And they all live nearby. Yeah. This saga is developing a real early bird special at the diner feel to it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, all these blue hairs just hanging mm-hmm. around around the fjord, uh, hanging out around the fjord. Sitting around, jitterbugging and talking about their days. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, sadly, we're probably the same age as they are, or just slightly younger, but whatever. Don't say these um, things. <laughs> we're not far Podcasting's off. a young man's game, Andy. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> well, so this this hadn't come up in the saga before, that uh, Bjargi has three elderly brothers that are still living. Correct. There's a long list of characters at the beginning, but these yep. guys weren't included. Yeah, this is the first reference to them. Uh, for the record, their names are Valbrand, Thorbrand, and Ausbrand. The Braun brothers. The Brauns. Uh, first, uh, she visits uh, Valbrand at Valbrandstadler. Very clever. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, Valbrand is a very old man, but a good one. He has two sons, Eolf and Torvi Valbrandsen. Uh, they're both young and strong men. Uh, Valbrand, of course, is glad to see his sister. And once they've exchanged greetings, Bjargi gets to the point. Well, sort of. Well, but not exactly. Uh, yes. Yeah. She asks her brother to loan her his seal nets. His seal nets. You know, for seals. 
You catch seals with them. Yeah, I understand both words that are involved in that. <laughs> but, you know, just playing along here. Why does she suddenly need to go seal hunting? Uh, you know how annoying seals can be. <laughs> Trailing along behind your ship, making hurtful comments. Staring at you with their human eyes and saying, This is your first time on a boat. I guess you're doing okay if you're a beginner. Hmm? <laughs> Remember, the thick end of the oar goes in the water. <laughs> Those damn seals. Uh, but no, that's yeah. that's not what's going on here. No, uh, Bjorn is using Alephrasis. Uh, she's uh, asking one question implicitly by asking another. Yeah. Uh, her brother understands her immediately and answers, Well, I have three seal nets. One is old and not so reliable, but it used to be good. The other two are new and untested. You take what you want, two or three. <laughs> this poor guy is about to die. He needs to see a doctor. And he's the youngest of the three brothers. Oh, no. It's going to get worse. So, uh, yep. yeah, this this isn't the subtlest metaphor. Uh, and she tells him that yeah. she wants just the two new ones because she doesn't want to risk damaging the older one. Mm-hmm. And then she asks that, they, that he get them ready for when she sends for them. And then they sail on to her second brother, who I suppose is a little older. And his name is Thorond. Guess where he lives? I'm going to guess. I'm going to go out on a limb here. And he, I'm going to say he lives at Thorbrandstadler. I know. <laughs> uh, we're just in full-on folklore territory here. Yeah. Uh, and the unimaginative naming, I think, is part of the literary nature of the narrative. Well, okay. But, I mean, it, legitimately in Iceland, this is how places are named as well. So it's right. not, like, too big a stretch. But Fair enough. the important thing is that the pattern begins to repeat itself. Thorbrand mm-hmm. also has two sons, uh, Old and Thorir Thorbrandsson, uh, and both of them are young and promising men. Mm-hmm. And when she arrives at Thorbrand's farm, Bjargi asks for the loan of some fish nets this time. I'm going to edge out on a limb here and guess that he offers her one old one and two, two new ones. Oh, well, you are a keen-eyed anticipator, John. Yes. Don't patronize me. Uh, and, uh, but <laughs> yes, this is ex- exactly what her brother says. Uh-huh. And as she did at the last place, she asks to use the two new nets and says she'll send for them soon, whenever that might be. But have them ready, right. will ya? So Bjargi is putting together an attack force. Uh, yes, comprised entirely of her nephews. No, no, Andy, a force of seal nets and fish nets. Were you not listening? Fish nets? I'd like to see Bjargi in those. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Anyway, Bjargi and Thorhatl. I'd like to sail- see the seal of the fish nets. <laughs> What do you think? Okay, Saga Thing artists <laughs> out there. I've got dams for miles. <laughs> that is funny. She asks Thorbrand if she can borrow his fishnets, and he's like, I'm I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> I've got one old pair and two young pairs. <laughs> You'll have to peel these off me. Ew. <laughs> He's waiting to be told by uh, Ragnar to come visit him on his ship. <laughs> that's right. All right. Um, a, sorry about that, everyone. It's a fishnet deep cut there, gentlemen. <laughs> that's right. We apologize for that digression. Uh, let's get back to the story. Uh, Bjargi and Thorhatl sail further along to the farm of her oldest brother. His name is Ausbjorn the Old. Because mm-hmm. he's, John, he is old. And... Yeah. Here we get an interesting detail about Asbjorn the Old. That he's very, very old? That's one of the things. Uh, 
No, uh, Ausbjorn is a double in-law with Halvorth. He's actually married to Halvorth's sister. Well, he must be a very lucky man. Let me guess. Ausbjorn has a couple of sons and a fishing implement metaphor. Oh, are you uh, familiar with what happens when you assume? I demonstrate the value of inductive reasoning? Well, see, here's the thing, John. Ausbjorn the Old has only one son. Ah, His name is Hotgrim, and he's large, he's strong, and ugly, but ugly in a manly way. Manly ugly. (laughs) Coyote ugly straight to DVD sequel. (laughs) Have you ever actually seen Coyote Ugly? No, nobody's ever actually seen that movie. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't either. I I know the name. (laughs) I'm not convinced the movie actually exists. I think it's just a, a series of posters and packages. My impression was that it was very popular in the 90s, was it not? Nah, nobody ever saw it. <laughs> All right. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it's my, my dad's theory about Wyoming. <laughs> my father firmly believed that Wyoming didn't exist. It was just a place for people to cl- for the government to claim that witness protection program people were from. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, so uh, what about Hotgrim the Manly? Well, Bjarki asks old Asbjorn if he's got a peat-cutting axe that she can use. And true to the pattern, he offers her one or two, and she asks him to prepare the newer one. Right. He also describes the new axe as new and large and untested. <laughs> so we're barely even keeping up the pretense here. I mean, you're really starting to get into uh, Dumbledore from the early films uh, territory. Alspion well, is extremely elderly. Yeah, of course he is, as was Richard Harris at the right. time. Yeah. Ausbjorn can remember when Iceland was just chilly land. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, folks, we're not even drinking that much tonight. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, so with all of this done, with all of the fishing metaphors complete, <laughs> <laughs> Bjargi and Thorhall row back to the farm. Uh-huh. Uh, now, she says nothing to Halvorth about her plans or about what she's been up to that day. Mm-hmm. And he never asks, still sunk in his depression. Yeah, and meanwhile, Thorbjorn presumably goes on with this trip to visit his brother Sturtless Farm, right? Right, along with Vok, the malicious Muppet, and Brand, the outspoken servant. Yeah, gotta be an awkward trip with Brand rowing and Thorbjorn sitting and glaring at him. Part 7 it's time to get up. <laughs> so, again, Bjargi does nothing for a few days. She waits until she judges it likely that Thorbjorn the Gothi will be returning home soon. She then goes to their bed and asks Halvorth if he's awake. And he replies with a verse mumbled from under the covers. No sleep settled my brow, since he who said pledges to spearman of surfplow succumbed to blades' edges. Since the cove of corpses' conifers took a hard toll, that man unkindly killed causeless Olaf our son. 
And Bjargi, who's turning out to be kind of awesome, responds, <laughs> Well, it's certainly a very big lie that you haven't slept in three years. <laughs> but yet it's time to get up and ready yourself if you wish to avenge your son. Because he will never be avenged in your lifetime, if not tonight. Yeah, calling out Halvorth for being overdramatic. I love it. Yeah. That one's uh, in my William notable witticisms category, out. by the way. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Van Eden points out there's a, there's no external references to Halvorth not sleeping due to his grief. Sure, yeah. Abjargi is just pointing out facts by saying that he lies. Yeah, which may show that this saga's voice is a bit more sophisticated than some critics have given it credit for. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, one, of the, mot- one of the theories of this, of mm-hmm. this saga is that it's just a pastiche of other sagas slapped yeah. together very quickly to kind of fill in a gap in a manuscript. Uh, but you I, really have to you really have to wonder if people actually read the saga when I, you say that. Yeah, I agree. I, I understand uh, there's motifs in here, but read any saga and there's there's motifs. Mm-hmm. I think this is a cleverly uh, so far anyway, a cleverly constructed compelling saga, even if it mm-hmm. is kind of in that kind of folklore realm a little bit more than some other sagas. Well, even if it does sort of border on parody at times. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, this this motif, right? A man being driven to mental illness by the unsatisfied desire for revenge, right? It's a good example. It's being pushed here to a sort of illogical extreme, mm-hmm. right? Uh, three years is a long time in bed, especially for an old man who's about to get very active. Spoilers. <laughs> Uh, so the, the melodrama and exaggeration of the story to this point gets punctured by Bjargi, who just calls shenanigans on Halvorth's self-pity. Yeah, of course, that's another motif. The the, the wife or mother who goads her men mm. into revenge. Sons, True. kinsmen, what, what have you. Yep. But we're going to get to that one. Uh, for now, let's say that Halvorth immediately leaps out of bed and falls to the ground because he's an old man who <laughs> barely used his legs in the last three years. Absolutely not. Uh, so we're not dealing with the bones and sinews of reality here, right? You don't have to worry about whether an old man's legs can support it. This is the stuff of myth and folklore. Yeah, well, now who's being melodramatic, hmm? However, this, <laughs> he strikes a pose and says, Old age mocks us most as we, men, all of you there, render me rapt esteem. Relate our deeds of fame, now that Njord of Weapons kneels down on battle plain. Our son, our noble stave and staff, is grim death's gain. Well, look at that. Howard's turning out to be sort of a mercurial old man. Mm-hmm. This poem and, and his actions up to now show that he's at the whim of his emotions in a way that, that kind of fits the characterization of the elderly as less engaged in traditionally masculine stoicism. It's a very emotional guy. Yeah, it, it fits with the saga's clear awareness of the motifs that are in play. Right? Yeah. Again, I'm starting to suspect this saga knows what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Halvorth hurries to a chest of weapons and quickly arms himself and Thorhalt. Then he walks, no longer limping, we're told, to Bjargi and kisses her goodbye. Oh, look at that. Saying, it's not certain when we'll see each other again. There you go. That's that 80s action hero saying goodbye to his girlfriend, his wife, whatever it is, right? Because he's going to the final battle. Mm -hmm. I do not need to goad you to avenge our son, Halvarth, because I know that courage and manliness 
will follow you wherever you go. There's that moment you were talking about. Right. And after all the work that she's done to set up the revenge crew, Bjarki doesn't need to goad or shame her husband at all. The push she's providing comes from having arranged literally everything to give them their (laughs) chance at revenge. So the saga is going to skip that part of the revenge narrative. And instead, what we get is actually a fairly sweet moment between these two, this elderly couple whose moment to avenge their son has finally come. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, All right. So once they've got their gear and, um, you know, wiped away a manly tear or two, uh, Halvorth and Thorhat row to each of the brothers-in-law's houses and pay off the setup from before by collecting the quote-unquote tools that Bjargi requested. Yeah, we can get a pretty good sense of the pattern from the first stop. All right. Uh, well, he hits them in the same order Bjargi did, so Valbrand's farm is first. Uh, when he arrives, Halvorth is greeted warmly and offered a bed for the night. But he says, no, I can't stay. I've only come to collect the... Uh, <clears throat> the nets you promised your sister. And Valbrand turns to his sons, who are raking the hay, and he tells them, Your kinsman, Halvorth, has come, and he's dressed as if he intends some great deeds. Mm-hmm. And so his sons, Eof and Tori, rush to get into their traveling clothes. But it, the saga tells us they had taken off their boots while doing their chores, and when they try to put them back on, the leather has shrunk so that they both strip the skin from their heels, pulling on their boots. We're going to talk about this, okay. It's a, we, it's a strange detail, and it really doesn't pay off at all, but there you go. It's an odd one. A- I had, yeah, Aelf yeah, and Tarvi are running around with sore feet. <laughs> yeah. uh, and before you ask, Eddie, yes, I looked this up in the Thompson Folk Motif Index. Good for you. I expected no less. That's why I didn't look it up. Yep. Uh, I think the closest we can get is J2131 under the Foolish Disregard of Personal Danger heading, where we find Girl Hacks Off Her Heel to Get a Shoe On. Hmm. It's not very close to what's happening here, but since we've talked before about how Cinderella stories end up in the sagas, I thought I'd I'd bring it up. Uh, I did find a thing about Fisherman catching fish in his boots, but that was just fun for me. (laughs) Okay, that's interesting. Spoiler, I suppose, but these two survive the fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although we're told that when they return home, their boots have puddles of blood in them. It's gross, but that's the only payoff Indeed. we're going to get on uh, that little detail. I, I, yeah. The only thing that I thought about it after reading through it and reading it over again was it just wants to show how eager they are to get their revenge. I guess. You know, revenge? It's only I don't them. Know. Like the rest of the nephews have no shoe problems or anything that would suggest an actual yeah. motif being engaged with here. I um, mean, it could be an example of, of something that's that was in the original snippet right. that this is from right. that isn't in... Well, and, you know, it is a pasted there together. Is, here. There is other reference to sort of there is a saga manliness motif, right? Of a guy yeah. who has like blood coming out of his shoe, but refuses to limp. Yeah, well, because, uh, Gunlog Saga Serpent Tongue, right, does that, right? Exactly. Uh, and so there's there is a motif there that's available, but I, there's nothing that's made of this at all. It's a very strange thing. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, you know, it's part of the fun that we have thinking about these things, but yeah. it's derailing the revenge plot. We are, we're oh, finally putting the team together for the big job, and here we are talking about All bloody right. feet. Fine. Carry on. All right, so on to the second brother, Thorbrand. Uh, that one goes smoothly as well, with Ald and Thorir Thorbrandson ready to leave immediately. Yeah, and their shoes are fine, by the way. 
of course, and then at Old Ausbrand's farm, Hotgrim Ausbrandson joins the group, and surprise, surprise, there's a bonus ally. Hotgrim's foster father, Aun, is there too, and he's dressed for trouble. Hmm. But there is one significant absence. Yeah. You remember Stainthor of Air, the man who pledged to help Halvarth? Well, he isn't involved in any of this. Right. Well, as you said, it's a long distance to come. Uh, besides, remember, Stainthor said, If you ever need a little help, call on me. I'm not sure we can classify an organized and premeditated murder party as a little help. <laughs> well. uh, Stainthor will be back in this saga, but not just yet. Yeah, it's also fair to say that he said, call on me. Well, he hasn't been called on, so why would he right. show up sure, if he hasn't enough. been? You know, so Bjargi didn't go down there to talk to him. She just right. went to her family. It's not actually even very clear that uh, that it's ever been mentioned to her that this happened. Yeah, Albert exactly. returned home and went to bed. We don't know that he necessarily ever told her about how things yeah. went. So we're, we're not going to hold anything against old Stainthor mm-hmm. at this, at this right. point. So. so in the end, there are eight men in the party. Uh uh, no one of Stainthor's status, no one of any great status, but they are all promising fighters. Um, they are all connected in some way to this great Viking mm-hmm. named Halvarth, who's gotten rather old and sleepy. Um, and all eight of these guys are armed to the teeth. So, well, that's pretty Actually, that's not, that's not entirely true. Seven of them are bristling with weapons. Mm-hmm. But Halvarth himself is carrying only a spear. Uh, and as they're pushing the boat out... Hotgrim notices that his uncle is a little underdressed for a revenge ambush. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so he asks why a man in this situation would leave home with no sword or axe. And Halvarth replies, Well, if it happens that we run into Thorbjorn this evening, you will see me otherwise. I intend Thorbjorn's sword, Gunnlöje, the best of weapons for myself. Well, that's not a reason not to bring a sword for use in the meantime there, Halvarth, <laughs> but... Uh... Maybe it's just more impressive to say you'll take your enemy's sword. Either way, I like it. Yeah, it's true. And remember that Gunloy, uh, Thorbjorn's sword, it's also the weapon that killed Olaf. Killing him with the same sword would probably be very satisfying. Uh, so, all right. Uh, they row out into the fjord, and Halvarth looks up into the sky and sees a flock of ravens. And he recites half to himself. First I fashion my vow to feed the greedy birds. The awful gulls of gore glide over fallow plain. Grimly I gauge our cause. Gain we will their downfall. May hail heroes crush foe, hazard battle on field. Aside from that great poem, which is sort of a half prayer, they row in silence. Mm-hmm. And despite some rough weather as they're crossing the fjord, it's not long before they're within sight of Thorbjorn's farm. And sure enough, just as Bjargi's planned, his ship's not there yet. Part 8. A revenge story with some teeth in it. That's better. Even as Halvarth and his crew approach the farm, they have to stop and admire the deep and calm harbor that Thorbjorn has constructed. And I do mean constructed. There's, there's earthworks and dredged docking areas. 
whale ribs used as rollers to ease ships in and out of the water, and a large boathouse with a second lagoon. I mean, John, we have to talk about those whale ribs used as rollers because that's a really interesting feature. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, let's let's deal with the section of the text first. But yeah, we definitely will talk about that. Absolutely. Okay, so um, this is, I think, Thorbjorn, let's just say it. It's a rich man's private marina is what it mm-hmm. is. It's a well, beautiful Th- little spot. Right, Thorbjorn is a rich man and he enjoys sailing. Mm-hmm. Although we can also assume... He's using this harbor to control the movements of, say, any Norwegian ships that might come in to sell their wares. Sure. As both chieftain and harbormaster, Thorbjorn's absolutely going to make his profit from any ship that comes to Isafjord. Mm-hmm. But Halvard's crew isn't here to admire Thorbjorn's mastery of plutocratic capitalism. I know, right? Quit stalling. <laughs> so Olaf's Avengers slip out of their boat and carry it bodily out of the water. And they put it behind a ridge so that it will be hidden from view when Thorbjorn eventually arrives. And then they lie quietly in wait near the boathouse and wait as the sun sets. Right. And the, the story now shifts to Thorbjorn and his ship, which has a total of 10 men on board. There's Thorbjorn himself, his brother, Sturtla, his nephews, Vak and Theodric, the servant, Bran the Strong, and five other men. Yeah. Uh, they arrive at Lagabal in the twilight. Now, Thorbjorn's feeling lazy after his long trip. Mm-hmm. And he tells the others, let's not be in a hurry. We can leave the ship here for tonight. The weather's good and dry, so we don't need to bring anything but our clothes and weapons. Vok, why don't you carry the weapons to the boathouse? Right, and the, the hidden ambushers now watch with their jaws hanging open as Vok walks into the boat shed, carrying their enemy's best weapons, all in a neat and very useless bundle. <laughs> and Halvard's nephews simply can't contain themselves. Torvi Valbrinson whispers, We should take that man there, and take the weapons too. But Halvard cautions him to wait. Right. Now, now Vok is the intellectual equivalent of a fart in a lukewarm bath the best of times. He, he doesn't notice either the extra boat or the eight guys on the roof. And so he tosses the weapons into the boathouse and heads back down to meet the others. And at that, Halvorth whispers to Hotgrim, Go down there, get the sword Gunnlöy and bring it to me. And once that's done, Halvorth has already accomplished his first goal of the night. He has taken Gunnlöy. That's good for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. One, it's just vindictive. This is Thorbjorn's best sword and arguably his most valuable possession. So whatever else happens, Halvorth's taken something, something valuable as compensation from his chieftain. Right. And I think, again, we get a hint the saga may not be taking itself all that seriously. Because once he gets it, Halvorth holds the sword aloft and shakes it at the heavens. Yeah. Again, a little bit overdramatic. Yeah. I mean, this is also, uh, I can't remember whether we talked about the name Gunloya last time. It, it's a pretty great name for a sword. It is. Yeah. It means battle flame or war flame. It's a pretty great sword. Pretty yeah. great name for a sword. Uh, and of course, this means Gunloya can't be used against them in the upcoming attack. Correct. And since legend has it that Gunloya never fails to strike its target, that's a big deal. Yeah. So almost as soon as Halvarth has this fantastically named Warflame, Vok returns to the boathouse. 
This time he's got a pile of shields and helmets, and he's wearing one of the heavier ones on his head. So now Thorbjorn's crew are mostly unarmed, and they've also taken off their armor. And shields. Yeah, this is this is rapidly descending into farce, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, this time the ambushers can't resist. Uh, they jump out of hiding and try to surround Vak. But Vak, who's a little twitchy at the best of times, hears the noise they're making and turns around to run. Help! Mm-hmm. Help! We're being attacked! Oh, God, I hate that guy. I hate the voice. I hate everything about him. <laughs> uh, this is entirely within character for him, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. For all his mouthing off, we've never actually seen Vok actually do anything. Yeah. He stands his ground against eight armed men. Uh, standing his ground against eight armed men doesn't really seem like his kind of thing. Are you accusing me of cowardice? I'm just observing cowardice, really, that's all. <laughs> well, you'll enjoy Vok's big moment then. <laughs> uh, hey, Vok John, was, was Vok at um, Olaf's killing? I think he was. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was there. Did uh, he participate? Didn't do anything. Uh, we never actually there. get told whether he did anything. Uh, we just told... I'm sure he was there, there shaking his sword. I think know, at one point they said... Get him, guys, th- come on, get him! I think at one point Sigrid said that Vok would not remain idle. Uh, But she may not be such a prognosticator (laughs) because (laughs) I don't remember hearing that he actually did anything during the fight. Yeah, me neither. Uh, Well, so this is is it then. This is Vok's big moment to shine in combat. Sure Uh, it is. And the way he does it is he runs about two steps before his feet slip on the edge of the lagoon. I love it. Crashes to the ground and slides headfirst into the water. Uh, and between the helmets, the shields, the mucky silt of the waterbed, and the fact that he apparently can't swim, Vok can't get his head back above the water. And so Havarth's crew stand and watch in disbelief as Vok slowly drowns in the shallows. <laughs> it's amazing. That is just amazing. And pathetic. Yeah, I mean it. Pretty fitting end for him, honestly. Yeah. And and I think in terms of dramatic tension and building that that moment, love it. Brilliantly done. Love it. So long, Vak. We absolutely will not miss you. <laughs> that has to be a contender for dumbest death in the sagas. That's a, actually, I, I have to think about how hotly contested that would be as a category. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like other dumb deaths. Yeah. Well, yeah. You worry about that. Start okay. making a list. Uh, uh-huh. Meanwhile, at Laugabol. All hell is breaking loose. Halvarth and his men now rush Thorbjorn's group where they're standing at the water's edge. Thorbjorn's crew are missing their best weapons, of course, so they're improvising. They're grabbing spears and oars, whatever they can find. And in the middle of this, Thorbjorn sees the ambushers coming. He stiffens his spine and turns and dives into the water to escape. Yep, just a just a full-on Count Rugen. I would love if he had the little kind of the little skirt to to, to flare as he goes. Swish. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But uh, yeah, he's boldly running away, away. Mm-hmm. Off to the races. Well, Halvarth isn't about to let this chance get away so easily. He uh he dives into the water after him, and a swimming race is on. And meanwhile, on land, the two groups crash into each other. Uh Bron the Strong, the servant who defied Thorbjorn's unjust commands and authority still stands against his chieftain's enemies. He pulls up one of the whale rib rollers from the embankment and drives it through the skull of Aun, Hotgrim's foster father, killing him in mid-leap. Whale rib through the head. Yep. 
That's the best bloodshed candidate for sure. Oh, without question. And we do need to talk about those whale ribs. But hang on. Hutgrim sees his foster father fall and barrels into Brand, hitting him in the head with an axe and splitting his head in half. Thorer Thorbrunson, one of Halvard's nephews, squares off in single combat with uh, Thorbjorn's brother Sturtla. Thorhot Fleetfoot and the rest of Halvard's nephews uh, steamroll into Thorbjorn's followers, with both sides nearly equal in number. And Hotgrim, who's already killed his opponent, sees Halvard swimming furiously after Thorbjorn and dives into the water to follow him. So much so, going on. Choose your own adventure time. Which story do we follow? If you choose to follow, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> we I, we obviously have we have to follow Halvard's chance at revenge here, right? All right. So. Thorbjorn swims all the way out to Ascari at the mouth of the harbor, with Halvorth right behind him. He reaches the island just ahead of Halvorth and grabs a large stone, and his hope is to bash Halvorth's head in as he mm-hmm. arrives. But Halvorth sees this, and in a flash, he contemplates the newest faith that he's heard that is spreading all across northern Europe. And he thinks to himself, I could believe in this better and fairer faith. But I need a sign, like maybe defeating Thorbjorn in single combat. <laughs> oh my god. And who among you, who among you will be so churlish as to doubt that in this supreme moment, Halvarth's thoughts turn to comparative theology? <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're Halvarth, and you're about to get your head bashed in by your son's killer. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking I should have taken one of those helmets from Vok. <laughs> well, what Halvarth is doing is converting to Christianity. Yeah. And it starts paying off pretty quickly because mm-hmm. Thorbjorn swings his stone as Halvarth rises up out of the water, but his foot slips on the seaweed-covered rocks of the scary, and he lands on his back hard. And the stone that he was holding, well, it crashes down on his chest <laughs> and knocks the wind out of him. <laughs> Uh, now, Halvarth, who's a little out of breath, remember, this is a this is an old man, uh, draws the sword Gunnleia, and Thorbjorn has just enough time to recognize his own sword before Halvarth plunges it into his heart. It's a good revenge. At least as these things go. Right, insert obligatory Indigo Montoya impression here. I want my son back, you son of a bitch. Oh, good, I didn't know we were actually going to get one. Uh, yeah. I think uh, it's a good one. I mean, it's, it's a little predictable, but this saga really knows how to build up to those big moments. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, the closer I look at this saga, the more I disagree with the critics who dismiss it. This one's yeah. not getting a low score unless it does no. something really weird in the coming <laughs> well, chapters. I mean, it's gonna. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I think it really hinges on how aware you want to credit the saga with being about its reliance on tropes and cliches. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that conversion to Christianity is clearly a cliche of the sagas. Yeah. Uh, without tipping my hand here, I'm starting to suspect this saga of self-awareness. And speaking of which, Halworth completes his revenge by slashing at Thorbjorn's face mm. and knocking his teeth out. And as he does that, Haldgrim pulls himself up onto the rocks and stop me if you've heard this one before. He says, why would you do that to a dead man? Right. And for those who didn't memorize the last episode... That's the exact same thing Vok asked Thorbjorn after Thorbjorn desecrated Olaf's body. And Halvarth, who's still staring down at Thorbjorn's body, says, I was just thinking about when Thorbjorn shoved his cloth bag in my face. 
on how my son's teeth, the ones Thorbjorn chopped out of my son's face, scattered about. Well, it's just a very satisfying revenge all around. So, good saga. We're all done here, right? The revenge we, cycle's complete. Yeah, we are not. Uh, Halvorth and Hopgrim swim back to the mainland, where they find that everything is quiet. But, as they rise up out of the water, a man leaps at them with his axe raised. Oh, and it's man. only at the last second that the man's axe blow is turned to the side. Yes, it's Torvi Valbrunson, Halvorth's most impulsive nephew. And he just barely avoids braining his uncle. But once that's done, he's... He's glad to see them in one piece. Mm -hmm. They catch each other up on what's happened, and the group on the shore won easily, as you can imagine. Uh, Thorbjorn's brother Sturtla, Brown the Strong, and two of the other men are dead from Thorbjorn's party. And only Hotgrim's foster father, Aun, was killed on Halvorth's side. So all in all, pretty good. And Halvorth, you'll not be surprised to hear, has a verse ready. Wow, he's full of vim and vinegar and poetry. Mm -hmm. I carved the skirmish scrub, the scoundrel, to his chops. And with hard blows, I bashed the brow of the wretched man. We, eight, quelled the quartet, requited their deed of blood. Those who killed Biagi's son battered her land to death. Now, some of the verses in this saga are generally thought to have been late editions. There's, there's one later on that shows up in multiple other sagas. But this one obviously belongs here. Uh, and yeah. full disclosure, by the way, I've conflated two verses in, into one there. Because it, I think it gets the point across better. Yeah. It's not really a full revenge if you haven't immortalized it in verse. And he does it very that's weird a, here. That's a weird bumper sticker, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Eolf Valbrunson, who's Torvi's brother, then looks at the prisoners and he asks, um, should we kill those men too? <laughs> and, and you know, at this point in the saga, I'm thinking anything uh, goes. Why not? Yeah, why but not? Uh, Halworth, Halworth tells him not to. Instead, the men are freed and told to keep watch over the dead men to make sure there's no question of theft or mistreatment of the bodies. Well, except for the wreckage where Thorbjorn's face used to be. Well, I think they left his body out on the scary, so... Oh, probably, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so, once they've finished with that, Haltgrim turns to Uncle Halvorth and asks, So, what do we do now? And instead of suggesting that they all go home and get some sleep, Halvorth turns with a glint in his eye and says, Well, I have an idea about that. And that my dear listeners, is where we're going to leave this story for now. To be continued. Not much of a cliffhanger seeing as Howarth just killed the main bad guy, but still. Well, this is a saga, right? And Thorbjorn has a big family. Yes, and where could they possibly be going now? <laughs> so, with Halworth and Bjargi recruiting their nephew army, and Thorbjorn still having brothers and nephews all over the place, I can promise you one thing, this isn't over. Yeah, speaking of family, I actually really appreciate the detail about Torvi jumping out and nearly killing Halvorth by mistake. Yeah. Uh, a lot of sagas would have mentioned that the nephews were inexperienced and just leave it at that. 
I think this one deserves credit for keeping that thread in the story. Torvi's a leap-before-you-look kind of guy, and he's hopped up on adrenaline after his first battle. Yeah, but how are his feet, you know? Oh, they're fine. That's the question. well slicked with blood. (laughs) Sure. So it would be easy for a mistake to happen under those circumstances. In Mm -hmm. fact, I think most of uh, human history shows that it does happen quite a lot. Yep. Um, But that's one of the binaries that this saga sets up. The scrappy farmer family taking on the most powerful clan in the region. It's pretty exciting stuff. Right. And so far, things are tilting in Halvorth's favor. But his nephews aren't professional killers. Well, lucky for them, Halvorth has a very long career as a professional killer. True. He's retired, but he's still a pro. And he's well-rested. Yeah, see, now I'm worried you might be setting up a John Wick writing gag for next time. (laughs) I I actually have never seen John Wick, John. Is that true? I saw the first one. I I, I intended to go through the whole series thinking, like, oh, I'll just watch them all. I've just never gotten around to watching the next one. Uh, Anyway... Uh, so my point is that this whole battle plays out as something very close to a parody of saga action. Uh, Halvorth's crew wait in ambush, only to have their enemies disarm themselves and leave their weapons in the boathouse. They leap out to grab Vok, and he slips and drowns upside down in shallow water. Uh, Thorbjorn swims out to an island for no discernible reason other than to flee a battle. Halvorth follows him, and Hotgrim follows him... And ultimately, all that happens out there is that Thorbjorn slips on some seaweed and gets killed. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun and in some ways more realistically unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, John, I have to say, like, parody is an interesting word there because it implies there's a an element of humor, uh, something a little tongue-in-cheek about the, mm-hmm. the, the scene mm-hmm. and, and the handling of the source material or the, the motifs. Yep. But I'm not sure. Is it is it parody or is it a saga that is aware of the motifs and so trying to uh, trying to play with the expectations in some interesting ways? And if that's the case, then it's not parody so much as it's a um, an adaptation or uh, an evolution of the, of those things. See, I do read it as being a little self consciously over the top. Uh, again, yeah. I have Halvorth, no problem with that. Halvorth getting the sword and holding it up in the air to yeah uh, to sort of shake it at the heavens is you know that's either high melodrama or slightly over the top and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's fun and in some ways more realistically unpredictable than other sagas. Mm-hmm. But it also seems to send up other sagas that do describe ludicrously unlikely seeming battle sequences. And yeah, I'm looking at you, Scarpe, then Yalson. Uh, Well, I think we said last time this is a a young saga, right? A later text. Uh, Even though there may have been earlier and more historically grounded versions of the story, this surviving version has a different sort of metatextual awareness than the Golden Age sagas. Uh, Hathor Goodmanson talks about the novelistic characteristics of Halvath saga. And and other scholars go even farther than that. Uh, Vidar Reinsen, for example, argues that this entire thing is a parody of a typical saga and a parody of the heroic ideals it seems so interested in. And, of course, it's putting him in the hands of a retired old Viking who has slept for three years. I'm not sure if Vidar Hrensen was ever an active Viking. Uh, I didn't say he was. (laughs) You, you, you meant, Halvorth. So the question... (laughs) Such an idiot. Yeah, the question is, I guess, can a text be both thematically simpler 
and more textually sophisticated than the stories it's theoretically imitating. Uh, well, yes. Yes, it can. I was segueing out of this. <laughs> right. Uh, speaking just vaguely of this kind of thing, yeah. uh, we did get a rune stick uh, very recently about mm. post-classical sagas and our attitudes towards them. But oh. I want to save that for next time or, or very, very soon. But uh, mm -hmm. tonight we have other things that we want to do. Great. Uh, so uh, before we wipe off the grease paint and put the cat out for the night, did we actually want to answer a question tonight? Maybe uh, yes. demonstrate our ignorance on an unrelated topic? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we've we've got quite a few. I'm excited to get to like that that one on class post classical sagas. But right. I've got some. Well, good you ones said we're tonight. saving that one. So what do we got for tonight? I mean, we neglected the rune sack for most of Lockstall's saga. Let's uh, let's get a little crazy. Well, I don't think we need to get crazy, John. But let's do a couple. All right, let's stay sane. What's up first? <laughs> All right, we we got a question on Discord from Snorri Inheimski. Inheimski. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a nice nickname. Snorri the Stupid. Yes. Uh, what's, uh, what's Snorri and Hemsky want to know? What made him so desperate that he's calling on two lowly professors of medieval literature for help? Well, he's wondering about Thorbjorn's captive woman secret and mm. the supposed apple of Olaf's eye, right? He asks simply, this is a quick one, is she a concubine or an indentured servant? Ooh, that's a good question. I think we touched on this just briefly last time and said that she was more or less abducted by Thorbjorn and kept at his farm. Whether or not she's a concubine isn't entirely clear. The sagas are often pretty, you know, sort of shy about being explicit about these things. Yeah. So anything we say beyond what the saga offers is going to be speculative. Yeah, but let's start with what the saga actually says because we kind of paraphrased sure. it last time. Yeah. I'm assuming you've got that prepared since you chose this question. I do, yeah. It's in the first paragraph of Hauvar's saga uh, in the introductory character portrait of Thorbjorn the Gothi. And it says, He was a well-born man and a powerful chieftain and a very unjust man, so that no one in Isafjord had the strength to oppose him. He took people's daughters and kinswomen, and he kept them for a while and then sent them home. He took the possessions of others or drove them off their land, and Thorbjorn had taken a woman named Sigurd into his household. She was a young woman from a prominent family, and she had a lot of assets for her own upkeep that were not to be increased while she was with Thorbjorn. Yeah, it's 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 never a good sign when one of the first thing a saga says about you is that you abduct local women. No, 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 it's not. Uh, and, and like we said last time, the issue is sufficiently vague here to allow for her to be a concubine. Mm -hmm. To be a hostage housekeeper, or perhaps, and very likely both. We really didn't share our thoughts on what's going on here. Um, I've got my own opinions, but I'm going to allow you to go first. You're just hoping I'll say what you want to say and then you don't have to do anything. I mean, that, that's only half true, but go on. Right, I suppose nothing would ever stop you from saying what you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, it strikes me that what we're dealing with here is a, what I would call, I think I said this last time a little bit. A sort of typical saga squeamishness about getting explicit about anything that has to do with sexual uh, exploitation or assault. Yeah. Right. Okay, uh, well, that sounds like you think she definitely is a concubine. I think I think what we're looking at here, yeah, is a situation where uh, Thorbjorn thinks of himself as having some kind of sort of right of sexual refusal over Sigrid. Right? Whether mm. or not whether or not he's actively 
uh, sleeping with her or actively assaulting her or however the relationship is working. Um, he doesn't like the idea that anyone else would speak to the woman, talk to the woman, woo the woman as uh, as Olaf tries to do. Um, yeah. And that suggests a kind of a belief in his kind of ownership over her. Yeah. Uh, that generally, and I suppose in a, an extreme case might, but generally would not indicate somebody who just thinks of this person as an employee in a household or a servant in the household. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the situation where he seems to feel that Sigrid is his right, in a kind of complete sense. And that yeah. suggests concubinage. Hmm. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to suggest concubinage, but I generally agree with what you've said. And my gut feeling tells me with the villainous kind of characteristics of this guy that it's implied that he is using these women in, in this way. Uh, that the said, fact that it's a pattern, right? The yeah. fact that it's a pattern, he, bring, he takes these women, keeps them for a time, and then lets them go. Essentially yeah. discards them, right? Right, exactly. It's. Yeah. I mean, again, we're supposed to think he's a horror show, but yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only other thing I would say about it, if we want to like, say, well, let's explore the idea that it's not uh, using them um, for sexual gratification in some mm-hmm. way. Um, it is still about control. It is still about ownership. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things that he might be doing is asserting his authority over these other families, right? So Sigrid, for example, she comes from a prominent family. Mm-hmm. And what does a prominent family have or what does a daughter mean to a prominent family? It's a, it's a, a way of making alliances and connections. Right. And he's essentially robbing them of that opportunity, at least for a time, and taking control of those those young daughters. Oh, but now um, wait a minute. Sorry, yeah. go on, go on, go on. No, no, go ahead. That's interesting because if you think about this, then what when we, when we say that he keeps them for a time and then releases them, I mean, is he then sort of inserting himself into that process and making marriages for them, like arranging them to go into other households as wives? Yeah. After they've been in his household, so that he he gains some of the benefit or credit or what have you from having made these alliances. Yeah, I mean, whether or not he's making the marriage arrangements himself, he's taking control of the daughter as an mm-hmm. asset mm-hmm. and at least limiting the family's ability to arrange any marriage themselves that might shift the power balance in the region. Yeah. So e- either way, whether it's concubinage or just forcing these women into his household for an extended period, he's asserting his authority and control over these families in a way that runs counter to the expectations of a healthy, gothy, and thingman relationship. Yeah. He's abusing his power and he's taking advantage of those around him rather than being helpful to the farmers and thingmen within his territory. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, when we think about Thorbjorn, uh, he is an exceptionally bad chieftain, right? Um, yes, I think that's the main uh, point, right? Right. I mean, that's uh, so if we, you know, I we've talked, we haven't talked about the Durnburgers in this episode, but. Uh, oh, the Durnburgers? Uh, Paul and Dorothy Dur- Yes, the Durnburgers. Oh. Um, they they point out that uh, the this saga describes Thorbjorn as unfair. Uh, oh, yeah, not uh, twelve times. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, that uh, and as Odrengskap, uh, uh, the the unmanly or undignified, mm-hmm. uh, three times. Right in in he's only in the saga for ten or eleven chapters, uh, yeah. as we've just seen. Right? Uh, that he is. They are it, the saga is really 
it's important to strike this primary note for Thorbjorn that he is unfair, that he's cruel. Uh, and that behavior pattern, everything you've just said, fits in with that exact idea, right? That he's right. sort of uh, uh, deliberately and with premeditation being cruel to these families and to these women in order to self-aggrandize, in order to to build yeah. his own power base. Mm-hmm. And he's pulling them in and making them do chores in his house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they're his his servants, his slaves. Right. That's yes. that's that's pretty bad. E- yes. Either way. So I think we can all agree that's bad. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Uh well, I think we thoroughly exhausted that subject with a with frankly a, a whole bushel of reckless speculation. Well, reckless or thoughtful speculation, John? Eh, it can be both, uh, but either way it's speculation. Uh it's just fine. Uh it's what we do here. So you said you wanted to do more than one RuneStack question tonight? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's our What's our second RuneStick about? I'm glad you asked. Uh, this one well. comes from Dr. Andrew Fringer at the University of Mississippi via our Discord page. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you said Andrew Fringer. I said Dr. Andrew Fringer, but yes. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Dr. Andrew Fringer. Uh, yeah. I didn't realize that we were now carving our own RuneSticks. <laughs> well, sure we can. <laughs> but but really, this is a great example of why the unofficial Saga Thing Discord is such a, a cool place. You see, I was uh, prepping for recording by rereading the chapters that we've covered tonight. And I came across that section about the whale rib rollers that we mentioned earlier and promised to get oh, back Oh, good. To. Yes. Yeah, we, we said we'd get to this. Good. Yes, whale yeah. rib rollers. Go on. I, I, I thought it was an odd concept, crafting rollers for a ship out of whale ribs so that you can launch the ship right. into the I water mean, or get it out of the water. Yeah, yeah. Whale ribs aren't straight or round, so mm-hmm. you wouldn't think they'd be an automatic choice for rollers. I wouldn't. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. So I took to Discord and I posted the question for Dana Dalachek, uh, who is our kind of maritime expert, or anyone else who might know a thing or two about rollers and whale bones. So here, here's the, the basics of my post, right? I said, my understanding is that ship rollers are logs or other long round objects used to roll a heavy ship to or from the shore. But in chapter nine of Howarth Saga, we're told that Thorbjorn had built a nice harbor that had been dredged deeply enough to allow a smack or even a larger ship to anchor there. And it then says that there were, quote, large whale ribs buried in the ground as rollers, their ends made fast with stones, so that no one needed to wade to or from a ship. And from this, I have several questions. Uh, first of all, whale rib rollers? What the heck? Uh, second, <laughs> why are they buried? Third, why are their ends made fast with stones? I'm assuming that means they're capped so they don't uh, deteriorate. But uh, do we have any evidence of whale ribs being used as rollers? Uh, is it practical to do that? Why would you bury them? Uh, is that to keep them from rolling away? Questions, questions, right. questions. Right. I mean, all reasonable questions. Uh, I'm assuming that some noble listener came to your rescue and provided an answer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, uh, a few of the listeners helped on this one. Uh, Elf the Inkstained uh, suggested that the passage might be describing a slipway rather than rollers. A slipway made of of whale bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. you wouldn't need uh, the whale bones to move. They're there right. to kind of sit there. Right. So the whale bones would be spaced out, maybe partially buried. So they provide a hard, smooth surface that you can just push the boat along. That's right. Yeah. You kind of bring the boat right up to it and then it's on right. those whale bones. And then you kind of have a, a whole series of whale bones that lead up the hill 
that you mm-hmm. can kind of push the boat along rather than pushing it through the the dirt or the you know the shoreline there. Uh, and naturally, uh, so the next step is to turn to the Icelandic rather than relying on the translation. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I checked is, is it really whale bones that they're talking about, whale ribs? <laughs> and absolutely, that, that part's very, very clear. Um, the words are basically the same in English mm-hmm. as in Old Norse. And the term that is translated as roller in this passage is a hlunar, uh, which, to be fair, is usually translated as roller, which is used for launching ships. So that's a long way of saying that this is not a translation problem. That's correct. Yeah, it's not a translation problem. It's more an issue of my ignorance than anything else. Because like I said, when I when I hear roller, I think of something that rolls. Mm-hmm. And I've got these images in my mind of, you know, big ships on a bunch of logs that are being mm-hmm. is being rolled into the into the into the water. Yeah. Um and that's pretty standard. And it's a pretty standard use of the word roller or hlunar. But mm-hmm. when you dig a little deeper into the subject of rollers and hlunar, well, you find that they can indeed be laid out, partially buried, and held in place with rocks to create a hard surface upon which one could push a boat. Right. So whale bones, given their sort of size and shape, would actually be perfect for this kind of job. Exactly. Yeah. And then our old pal, Stefan Bjornsson, who's become hey, Stefan. indispensable as our Icelandic liaison, uh, he chimed in to confirm all of this. He wrote that the term hlunar can refer to runners that are laid under the keel of boats as they were launched or hauled ashore, and that whale ribs, as he said, they're actually considered very good for this because of their high fat content. And he even provided a few pictures of whale ribs being used in this way. Mm -hmm. And then I did my own digging after this, and I found that the practice is verified in the Faroe Islands where pilot whale bones were once used exactly like the hlunar described in Halvarda Saga. Right. I mean, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. I didn't have the same question about using the whale ribs because I actually remember um, as a kid going to a summer camp and they had sort of half buried uh, corrugated plastic roofing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the kind of stuff people use on their on like sheds. Yeah. Uh, they had like buried that uh, halfway, like going into the water so that when you pulled canoes and things out of the water, yeah, they yeah. would slide on this corrugated plastic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and but it would felt, you have called it that a roller? Very logically, kind of to fit that same model that you basically got a bunch of kind of smooth, rounded surfaces that you can just push the boat right. along. Yeah, exactly. But would you have called that a roller, John? I mean, I wouldn't have. But remember that I am about as nautical as a camel, so I don't really think my opinion on this has mattered very much. Yeah, well, that's it. That's that's basically it, right? So that's a mystery that's not much of a mystery, but it's solved. <laughs> and and it, was an, it was an interesting little journey, at least for me. That's right. As we've said many times, it's, it's not about the destination at Saga Thing. It's mostly just journey. Yeah. Long, exhausting journeys. <laughs> All right. That's got to do it for now. Oh, John's getting sleepy. When am I not? Yes. Well, uh, oh, hey, John, uh, one last point that Stefan made uh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. He said uh, there's a pretty good chance that those whale bones, or at least some of them, uh, that are used for the runners there, uh, that that those are the same whale bones that uh, was part of the carcass that washed up that uh, uh, Thorbjorn had taken in the previous episode. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy that one, but... <laughs> Why not? I mean, what do you do with those idea. bones? You know, you make right. it part of your ramp. Come on now. 
Right. So, but I mean, given that this is an author who likes to introduce topics and then never pay them off. Oh well, that's I'm gonna, true. <laughs> that's true. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I'm skeptical about, but I like the rest of it. Yeah, they, the that whale carcass actually ended up with the uh, the boy's bloody feet somewhere. We just don't right. know where. <laughs> it's a yeah. So uh, anyway, we will be back soon to pick up the trail of Howard's revenge and the consequences of spilling aristocratic blood. And in the meantime, let us know what you think of this episode. Uh, for instance, was Bjargi's seal net code too subtle? Ooh. Should Halberth be happy with the tooth-rattling revenge he's got, or go to war with Thorbjorn's entire clan? Yes, and who wore the fishnets to the revenge killing? Hmm? Uh, so, how can people get in touch if they have something to say? Well, Saga Thing is on Facebook and Instagram, where we are Saga Thing Podcast. You can email us at sagathingpodcast at gmail.com with questions and comments. And assuming the site hasn't actually evaporated in a cloud of billionaire ego pheromones, you can find us on Twitter at SagaThingPod. Oh, I think it's just called X now. So, so dumb. <laughs> uh, hey, if that doesn't work, uh, just go ahead and buy your own public social media company and incompetently run into the ground. It'll be expensive, but it'll get our attention. Well, last and best... The unofficial official Saga Thing Discord is where we gather to, at this point, mostly learn from you guys. Yeah, join us over there. Uh, in addition <laughs> to pictures of whale rib rollers, you'll find discussions on everything from Norwegian parody metal to Icelandic literature as role-playing game world-building aids to this saga reimagined as a vehicle for Howard the Duck. Lovely. Simply Lovely. Um, and we also got to say thanks to Will Bilson for his illustrations. Uh, he's jumped in as our guest illustrator for How About the Saga and uh, have a look at his work on willjah underscore art dot thing on Instagram for more stuff. I'll put the links in the show notes and you can check out his uh, interesting illustrations for this saga. Excellent. Uh, thank you very much. And before we go, Andy, there's one more thing we should mention. Oh, really? I thought we'd covered it yes. all. Yes. No. Uh, very soon, very soon, Saga Thing will be celebrating its 10-year anniversary. Wow. That's right. Yeah, we've been slinging Saga Things at you for the past 10 years. When exactly did we start, John? Uh, officially, our first episode went up, I think, September 13th of 2013. Wow. Uh, unofficially, we've been working on Saga Things since the spring or summer of 2013, I can't remember the specifics, though. Oh, I do, but I'll do save that for our special episode. Ooh, special episode, you say? Indeed. Well, why don't you uh, tell the folks about it? Tell me about it while you're at it. Wait a minute. How did this get switched to me? I thought you set this up. You were introducing this. Yeah, but, but you mentioned special episodes. Now you are. Dang it. All right. Well, we are going to have a special 10th anniversary special. Um, so it's very special. It's two specials. Um, and, and that's where we're going to do the usual 10th anniversary special thing. Uh, we're going to reminisce about the days of yore. We're going to reflect on how far we've come. Oh, sounds like a blast. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not promising anything, but we'd love to actually, we'd actually love to hear from you all. Uh, yeah. So feel free to reach out to us via social media, email, discord, or carrier pigeon. And let us know how you found the podcast. Let us know how long you've been listening. And feel free to ask any questions or offer any comments, especially compliments. Ooh, 
Uh, and also, here's a question I've been meaning to ask you guys for a while. How do you get to be a person who's so into the sagas that you want to listen to a podcast? I don't mean how did you come to us. I mean how did you come to the sagas? Like what what grabbed you about this this genre? Yeah. Um, I know what I know. I think I've said several times on here that I I got into this stuff when I was about ten years old and was given a copy of the Norse myths uh, mm-hmm. for I think a birthday. Uh, but how did you guys find this stuff? Yeah, great question. Um, we are uh, we're planning to record this in early September, um, so it's not too far off. Um, but we want it to be ready to go up on the 13th. So if you're mm-hmm. listening to this sometime between when this episode goes up and then, uh, if you can get your questions to us, your comments to us by the 7th of September, uh, we should be able mm-hmm. to incorporate them into the show. Right. And we, we have a second uh, special episode planned that we, I don't think we're going to give the details of just yet, but we're going to work on in the coming week and hopefully we'll have up uh, early in September as well. That's right. Uh, John and I are both very excited about this. We've been chomping mm-hmm. at the bit to get it done for quite a while. And uh, I think you'll be excited to hear it as well. Fingers crossed. Uh, all right. That's, that's it right. for now. Uh, we'll be back soon with part three of Halvath Saga. Until then, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. I'm looking at a fruit fly that's drowning in my beer. Oh, nice. Okay.